The Coates and Children's Library at Princeton University Library presents The Bibliophiles. Hi, this is Dr. Dana. My guest is Rebecca Stead, author of When You Reach Me, which won the Newbery Medal in 2010. It's 1979. 12-year-old Miranda is living with her mom in New York City, near Amsterdam Avenue. There are rules for navigating New York City, like always have your key out before you reach the front door. If a stranger is hanging out in front of your building, keep walking. If someone is acting strange, cross to the other side of the street and never show your money on the street. But what about navigating sixth grade? What do you do when your best friend doesn't want to be friends anymore, a girl in your class calls you an idiot, and you encounter racism for the first time? And then there are the notes, mysterious notes that appear in unusual places, the cramped, wobbly handwriting hinting of a terrible tragedy to come, but asking you not to tell anyone. When You Reach Me is best described as a coming-of-age story that suddenly leaps genres, twisting the story so sharply and skillfully that you can almost hear the pieces clicking together as you rocket through a double surprise ending that immediately has you rereading the book and discovering a totally different story underneath. Rebecca Stead joins us from New York City. Miss Stead, welcome to The Bibliophiles. Thank you. It's great to be here. You grew up in New York City and you live there now. When You Reach Me is set in New York City as well. Why did you decide to set your book there? Um, well, the decision to set the book there was actually kind of a long and complicated one. Um, I came up first with the idea for the, the plot, sort of the mystery that's threaded throughout the book. And part of my idea for the plot reminded me of someone who was always around my neighborhood when I was growing up. And I worked that person into my story and then realized that I wanted to use a lot of the details from sort of just my memory of childhood. So the wonderful thing about writing fiction is that no one is stopping you and, you know, there's no one saying you can't do that. So I just thought, I'm going to write the story, set the story in the time and place of my own childhood. So that's what I did, but it was sort of a two-part decision. So the plot came first, and the setting came second. The writing style in When You Reach Me is very different from the writing style in First Light, your first book. First Light is written in a more traditional storytelling style, whereas When You Reach Me is much more stylistic and conversational with short, quick chapters. I'm wondering if you'd be willing to read the first chapter of your book? Absolutely. So the first chapter is called Things You Keep in a Box. So mom got the postcard today. It says congratulations in big curly letters. And at the very top is the address of Studio TV 15 on West 58th Street. After three years of trying, she has actually made it. She's going to be a contestant on the $20,000 Pyramid, which is hosted by Dick Clark. On the postcard, there's a list of things to bring. She needs some extra clothes in case she wins and makes it to another show where they pretend it's the next day, even though they really tape five in one afternoon. Barrettes are optional, but she should definitely bring some with her 
Unlike me, mom has glossy red hair that bounces around and might obstruct America's view of her small, freckled face. And then there's the date she's supposed to show up, scrawled in blue pen on a line at the bottom of the card. April 27, 1979. Just like you said. I checked the box under my bed, which is where I've kept your notes these past few months. There it is in your tiny handwriting, April 27th, Studio TV 15. The word's all jerky-looking, like you wrote them on the subway. Your last proof. I still think about the letter you asked me to write. It nags at me, even though you're gone and there's no one to give it to anymore. Sometimes I work on it in my head, trying to map out the story you asked me to tell about everything that happened this past fall and winter. It's all still there, like a movie I can watch when I want to, which is never. Was it a very different experience writing this book than your first book? Yes, it was a, it was a very different experience. And um, responding to what you said about sort of the very different writing styles, um, I have a thought about that, which is that I think that First Light, which is my first novel, was much more a response to books I loved when I was a kid. I loved, I loved reading all kinds of books, but I particularly loved books like Red Planet by Robert Heinlein, which very few people read anymore, but is a wonderful science fiction story. Heinlein wrote, as I understand it, science fiction that was intended for adults, and then some that was for kids. And that, this was on the kids' side. But it's it's wonderfully complex and deep, and it has science in it, and I loved that book very much as a kid. And I think that my first book, I was trying to write the kind of book I would have loved as a kid. So it's sort of like a book inspired by my childhood reading and the passion that I felt about reading when I was a kid. And then When You Reach Me feels much more like a book that's directly inspired by childhood itself and sort of setting aside the kinds of things I love to read. It's just sort of reflects much more of what I remember about childhood and how I remember thinking and the things I thought about. And in a way, I walked around thinking about things that were, you know, I want to say deeper than things that I often think about now. I mean, as an adult, there's a way in which my focus has narrowed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm much more focused on the details and what has to get done sort of on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, as a mom and with my work and just sort of doing all the practical things. And as a kid, I, I really walked around having these much more sort of existential thoughts about the way things worked. And so I wanted to write something that reflected my feeling about what's what was going on in my head as a kid and i don't think i think this is very average i think a lot of kids walk around with really deep thoughts i think that they're struggling with big questions um that adults have kind of learned to set aside mm -hmm. but i like thinking about those questions so that's one reason i like writing for kids well i'd like to ask you about a book you didn't write um a wrinkle in time by madeline engel your main yeah. character, Miranda, has read A Wrinkle in Time hundreds of times and actually carries the book around with her. Miranda ties many of the things happening in her own life to the things that happen to the characters in the book. When did you first read A Wrinkle in Time and what effect did it have on you? 
Um, I read the story, I think I must have been 11. I may have been 12. I loved the book, and I went on to read lots of Madeline Langle books. You know, not just that series, but also the Austin books. And I, I was just a huge Madeline Langle fan. And honestly, a big part, I think the biggest part of what I loved about her, her books were the, the family portraits. I think that for me, these were like incredibly attractive ideas about what a family is. I, I grew up mostly an only child. Um, my dad remarried when I was a teenager and then I had two stepbrothers, and then my dad had a second child, so I, had a, I have a brother from the time I was 15, but I really grew up feeling like an only child. And I loved stories with siblings in it. You know, I loved the stuff in the house where the twins are kind of rolling all over each other, mm-hmm. and I loved the relationship in the book. And... The science fiction aspect of it I thought was really interesting and I loved and I thought it was very eye-opening. But for me, it was the family stuff that was actually the most compelling. I love that when Meg goes downstairs in the middle of the night, Charles Wallace is there waiting mm-hmm. for her and he's already, you know, started her hot chocolate. Or It's just the idea that somebody knows you that well was really, really interesting and kind of alluring to me. But I read a lot of, I read other science fiction. So as much as I love the story aspect of A Wrinkle in Time, because I was reading other science fiction, that part was maybe not the biggest thing for me, which is not in any way putting down the story, because of course I loved the story and I love, you know, really just everything about that book. Madeline Langles also is the only author I ever met in real life. I oh. met her by going to a bookstore. Um, you know, we didn't have these school visits that everybody has now, <laughs> or I don't know if it was just my my little school, but we had a lot going on, but we didn't have um, authors of the books we were reading come and talk to us that I remember. I don't think I had that experience once in school as a kid, so... I remember, though, that she was going to be at a bookstore in the east side, and I wanted to go and meet her, and I, she did sign my book, and she signed it the way that Miranda's book is signed and the way that Madeline Lingle signs so many books, which is with the words Tesser Well, mm-hmm. but just the idea that she wrote my name, you know, and yeah. then signed it, and then she signed it. I still have that. So it was very fun to put that. That's an element that I put into my own story when Miranda gets a signed book and it's inscribed the same way that my book is. And that was just fun, really. So I did have sort of special feelings, I guess, about Madeline Langle and and A Wrinkle in Time. But uh, we actually didn't know immediately that we were going to leave that book in this story for a while. I thought it was just sort of uh, I don't know, like scaffolding almost, like a signal to myself about what kind of character I was creating. You know, who is Miranda? Well, she's the kind of kid who's sort of fiercely devoted to one book, to the to the point where really she's kind of closed-minded. I mean, mm-hmm. she won't she won't even read another book. You know, I mean, people are trying to get her to read other things, and and she refuses. And that was saying something to me about who she was. But I wasn't sure that we were going to be able to leave the book 
a wrinkle in time in our story. I just wasn't sure that it was appropriate. So it really? Was it's yeah, so really. essential to it, though, doesn't uh, yeah. it? Yeah, you know, well, it was a process. What happened was my editor, Wendy Lamb, and I talked about it and decided that if it was going to stay, I needed to sort of earn a place for it in the story. And so I re- decided to reread A Wrinkle in Time um, from the point of view of Marcus, who's a character um, in When You Reach Me, who has a very sort of unusual, singular kind of point of view. And I decided to try to read the book from his point of view. You know, how would Marcus read this story? So I'm, I opened A Wrinkle in Time and thought, okay, I'm not reading as me, and I'm not reading as Miranda. I'm reading as Marcus. And I noticed other things about the book including this funny little question about time travel. And then I decided that I could use that in order to talk about time travel as a concept because I wanted my readers to know that they needed to have open minds and they needed to think very actively and openly about the world in order to embrace my story. And so in the end, what I decided to do was to use Langle's book to signal to my readers that they were going to have to think big. Well, A Wrinkle in Time won the Newbery Award in 1963. Your book won the Newbery in 2010. There's something really beautiful about that. I'm still amazed by it. (laughs) I'm definitely not going to give anything away, but I will say that this book has a fantastic double twist that not only surprises the reader, but also causes the book to jump into a completely unexpected genre. Once the secrets are revealed, you realize that you've actually been reading two stories. Was it difficult to craft a book like this? Um, you know, it, it actually wasn't that difficult. I knew where I wanted to end, which was a real gift. You know, that's a really wonderful thing if you know where you're going, I think. And it's not something that happens a lot with me. I'm not an outliner. So having the full, um, very full vision of this plot was um, actually wonderful. And, you know, I just sort of went along. And I allowed myself to write it in these fragments almost. I mean, some of the chapters are very, very short. And I think that that is part of the way my brain works as a writer. I I tend to think in fragments. And so I just let myself do that here. Um, And so that was actually really fun because what I decided is that in a way this book is like a puzzle. So it was all right to write little pieces and just sort of let them fall together. And I think that it takes a certain kind of reader. There's a little bit of confusion at the beginning because the story is coming at you in a couple of different directions and you're not necessarily sure how it's all going to come together, but then hopefully there's a feeling of satisfaction as it grows, as all the pieces kind of grow together and you begin to see how everything fits. So it wasn't, it wasn't hard to move forward with it, um, although there were a couple of points where I lost faith a little bit that I could make it completely satisfying. And so I, I had one emergency moment where I had gotten a lot of questions from readers um, when it was still in the draft form 
Uh, one thing that, that my editor, Wendy Lamb, and I both tried to do was get readers for every draft because we figured that once you know the ending of the story, it's hard to reread the story. There's no going back to sort of, you know, that first time that you read it. So it's impossible once you know the end to really know how the pieces add up mm-hmm. for someone who's reading it for the first time. So we got um, fresh readers for every draft, and we just asked for questions. You know, what didn't work for you? What was confusing? What was obvious? Are there any logical inconsistencies that you can find? You know, is there anything that doesn't doesn't really work as far as you are concerned? And so I had one day where I had this giant list of questions from readers, and I just thought, I can't, I don't think I can make this logical enough, like to satisfy myself. So that was sort of a moment of of mini crisis. And on that morning, I called my dad, actually, who was like a big Star Trek fan and loved speculative fiction and didn't know anything about the story at all. And I, I said, can you meet me soon? And we went out to breakfast and I told him the story of the book. And he said, well, I think your problem is, you know, it had to do with my actually my theory of, of time travel. As soon as he said that, a whole bunch of things sort of fell into place. I suddenly knew how to answer a lot of the questions that I had, and I sort of thought, okay, I can move forward. But there was, so that was like a big moment. That was sort of a big click. But there also were just tiny little things, you know, following Miranda's apartment key. You know, where is it when? How does it get from here to there? When does that happen? So people were incredibly helpful about finding these small things so that I could adjust before we got to the final draft. So I depended on a lot of readers. Well, that's that's really interesting you should say that because I think a lot of our listeners will be surprised to hear how much work went into writing it. When you read a book, your experience is, depending on the length of the book and how much time you have, you could read it in a couple days or a couple weeks. And so the book comes on very quickly and you almost assume in your mind that the author writes at that same pace. But to hear, you know, about different drafts and test readers and uh, questions coming back and feedback and the involvement of the editor you realize that the author is with this book for ages. <laughs> yeah, really. It's a long time. Yeah, you better pick something that interests you because you spend a lot of time with it. Yeah, it was a very long process. It was probably nine months of writing and then another six of, of revision. Wow. And, uh, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of work. And, and, you know, one of the most important things about writing, I mean, this sounds really obvious, but if you want to write, you have to have just a willingness to face your first effort. And, you know, your first effort is often really discouraging. It's not that great. It's nothing, nothing like what's in your head. You know, you have this thing living in your head, this idea, and it's full of emotion, and it just seems bright and glittery and and wonderful and moving and love it. You know, you just love thinking about it. Right. And it's like your secret idea that you're harboring secretly on the subway and thinking, oh, I have this idea in my head and it's so great. Right. But when you start to get it down on the page, it's often just a horribly sort of clunky, ugh, boring 
pointless seeming version of this idea that's in your head and it's kind of hard to look at it then you think oh so this is where i'm this is where i am with this it can be discouraging but you know i don't know a single person who doesn't face that moment a single person who writes you have to be willing to kind of not be scared of that moment where you think this isn't at all what i want this to be there may be a couple of things that you like about it and you just have to cling to those things that you like and think okay i'm just i just have to bump the rest of it up to here you know and this is what i like this is what i like and the rest of it it pains me to read but it's okay because i can just keep gently bumping this up bumping this up and one day i'm going to start to feel kind of generally good about it and then i'm going to make it even better and then yes when you've made it the best that you can make it yeah that is when your readers do come in and and just run with it and so yeah that's an amazing thing one of the most important and emotional chapters in the book it's called The Last Note, is actually written as an itemized list. I knew you were a lawyer before you became a writer. Is this a method lawyers use when working on cases? That's interesting. You know what? No one has ever pointed that out to me before, but it's true that if you're writing, um, if you're writing a complaint, you do list like factual allegations that way. It's very interesting. I've never thought about that. But I actually didn't do a lot of that kind of writing as a lawyer. But, I mean, I, I have read a bunch of complaints. That's very interesting. I think that, you know, this is, I wrote, this is one of those things where I, when I wrote this scene, it just came out that way. And I didn't question it. And I didn't try to defend it. And I didn't think, will people say this is stupid? Or will people say, you have to justify this? Why did you do it this way? I just thought... Well, for some reason, this is the form that this chapter wants to take. And so I'm going to write it this way. And to me, it was, it was a way of showing sort of this sort of difficulty with which Miranda was remembering this truly awful thing that happened. So she's, she's remembering it in a very kind of formal, methodical way that allows her to have some distance Mm -hmm. um, from what happened, which is something that upsets her. But I didn't really articulate that to myself when I was doing it. I just sort of went with it. And no one ever asked me to change it. So I never did. And sometimes that's how things happen. You know, you just, you go with your instinct and then someone along the way, your editor or someone else or a friend who's reading for you might say, that confused me or that took me out of the story or, you know, then that's when you have to say, okay, is there a reason why this is like this? But that was one decision that no one ever asked me to defend. So I really never questioned it. Rebecca Stead, thank you so much for coming on The Bibliophiles. Thank you. It was really fun to be here.